0: Welcome to Wear Who You Are, a podcast that takes the fear out of fashion and holds space for everyone to explore how to connect your authenticity with your personal style. I'm your host, Natalie Tincher, founder of BU Style, expert style strategist, and your enthusiastic friend and safe space of support. I believe that every person has a style and every style deserves a seat. With over a decade of experience working with hundreds of personal clients, I've learned a thing or two about how to help others have a healthy and holistic approach to navigating how to build a wardrobe that reflects who you are. So pull up your seat and let's get started. This podcast is managed by Upstarter Pods. When I knew I wanted to start a podcast, I was not interested in starting it from scratch with no direction. Enter Upstarter. They have helped launch this show from the beginning, but they also continuously strategize with me on the future and direction of the podcast. People are always asking if doing a podcast is a lot of work. I can confidently say Upstarter has taken out the work that I don't want to do so I can focus on my content and expertise. If you're interested in launching a podcast to help grow your brand and your business, but also feel like you need a coach and team to guide you throughout the entire process, then get in touch with Chase at Upstarter today and learn about how they can help you. They can create a custom package for you based around your brand's needs, goals, and budget. To sign up for a free discovery call with Chase and see how they can help you, visit upstarterpods.com or click the link below in the show notes to check out more info. Welcome back to another Where Who You Are Wednesday. I am beyond and beyond thrilled to introduce you to our next guest, founder and executive coach, Sharon Lepofsky. She's just a general genius and one of those people that I always leave a discussion feeling amazing, feeling like I learned a hundred new things and like ready to just tackle the world. Um, I hope you have those types of people people in your life. If not, you will meet one today. So before we get started, I have a little announcement for anyone that is an in-person New York City client. So I will be spending most of July and August on the West Coast working on a couple of really exciting projects. So um, to give those the space and the dedication, I will not be taking any new in-person client packages until September. In the meantime, the BU Style 6 assessment and virtual sessions will still be open for individual style support. I will share all the links in the episode notes. Um, I'll also add a link to my newsletter so you can stay apprised of upcoming projects, service announcements, and all of my latest style resources. So on that note, a huge thank you to everyone who does support me. Some of you have been with me for almost 13 years when I was really just trying to figure things out. So it's exciting to be able to share new projects and new steps with you, including this podcast. You're really just the best. And I feel really, really honored to have such wonderful people supporting me. And speaking of support, I cannot wait to introduce you to a huge supporter of mine starting many, many years ago at this point, And someone I just cannot say enough wonderful, amazing, good things about. My dear Sharon Lepofsky, Sharon is an executive coach, a vision guide, and a happy resident of the Catskills Mountains. She founded Point Road Studio in 2012 to empower her clients to go after what they really want And raise our collective consciousness of what is possible. Sharon believes in the power of vision to clarify our purpose, strengthen our leadership, and bring ease to the way we work. She accelerates people-forward businesses on their path to create equitable and high-impact cultures and stewards founders, executives, and their teams on how to set strategy and reach their goals. Sharon studied coaching at Georgetown University and earned her Professional Certified Coach designation from the International Coach Federation. She is the host of weekly podcast Design Yourself, was the first podcast I was ever a guest on, where she spreads her belief that there is nothing stopping you. Sharon, I'm so happy you're here. Natalie! Thank you so much for joining. You were the very first podcast I ever had the pleasure of being on, and I really funny, I guess, or coincidental story. I was at a summit. I think it was last fall. And there was someone that came up to me and she was getting ready to um, enter college. And she said, Oh, my gosh, I I know you. Like, how do you know me? And she said, I listened to Design Yourself podcast and I heard your interview and essentially that interview caused her to want to go into fashion and styling. So this was, I think, five years later. Incredible. Incredible. See the residual
1: effects of the podcast. That's wonderful. And of course you inspired me. No,
0: it was one of my favorite conversations. I listened to it again recently and I was like, that was a damn good combo. That was fun come on. Um, But so Sharon, actually, I was introduced through one of my very, very first clients to Sharon and she hired me. What was it? Probably eight. Yeah. How many years ago?
1: Probably more than that. I mean, it's got to be upwards of a decade, I would bet.
0: So I want to start by you sharing why you hired me and we're going to tie everything into what you do and as a coach and where the world is today, too, because I think one of the things that I get A lot of from my clients and from all the communities I'm speaking to is like, how the hell do we show up now in like post COVID world? And it's much more important than ever to align your executive presence with who you are, I think. So I want to, you know, weave it into style and then get your tips because I feel like there's just so much goodness here. So, first, why did you hire me?
1: Okay. I'm I'm going to answer that. You'll keep me honest, but first I'm going to tell you why I was skeptical and thought I'll never <laughs> hire Natalie. So this same first client of yours, who is a childhood friend of mine, I remember coming to her lovely apartment in New York City and seeing a paper printout of all of her looks that you had created. You'd done a closet cleanout, and I thought this is super cool. Dot dot dot. But I would never need that. So that was my starting point, like, cool, but not for me, because I know how to dress myself. Now, of course, my friend is also highly fashionable, great sense of style. Um, But I just felt like, I don't know, I was skeptical. However, flash forward a few years later, um, I'd gotten to know you personally. Uh, I continued to hear amazing things about you from my friend or client. And I was pregnant with my second child I had subsequent to when I had first seen these looks, the lookbook. I had started Point Road Studios and I thought to myself, huh, I no longer need to dress the way that I was really assigned a dress code from my employer, which we should talk about later what that was because it's kind of funny. And yeah, and I also thought to myself, As I am doing my own thing and becoming, now I'm having my second child, my body is looking different. My shape is different. I'm questioning now more about what is the way I want to present myself as a CEO, as somebody who's independent, also someone who's a mom, Also, I am breastfeeding. Like there were a lot of practicalities I was thinking through that I didn't have to think through before. And I was like, sure seems like I could use some help. And so somewhat counterintuitively, while I was, I think think six or seven months pregnant, we did our very first shop together. And one of the things we said we were going to do is shop not at all for maternity clothes and go out and come up with like, what's this new look? And I can, I can, and if you're game, I will fangirl out on all the many takeaways I still have today from that first time we worked together. But that's what led me to reach out was a, oh, I'm now, I now can't see a sight line to what it is that I might want, what's possible. And I have so many new things coming at me and I feel like an outside perspective sure would help. And you did.
0: Well, what I like too about that is that when you said sort of counterintuitively and you were quite pregnant, and I think that's something that people, it's a metaphor for not only style, but for life is to do things when it may seem counterintuitive. Otherwise you're never going to do it when you're ready, right? Like when you're the most confuddled is probably when you should take the time to get the help. Absolutely. So build the habit. What were your takeaways then? Now I'm dying to know. Oh yeah,
1: so many. First, we did this thing called create a plan and set a budget. One of the most shocking and has stayed with me things that we did was actually come up with You really guided to what are the core pieces? You're like, well, it seems like a bag. And I think we might get a dress or two. And sounds like you'd need to have shoes. And guess what? A bag and shoes doesn't matter how pregnant or not pregnant you are. And I was myself very interested in trying different draping and silhouettes, which is something I continue to think that when you have really high quality pieces, the way they drape looks different than a low quality piece. And so I thought, well, it'll drape differently on me when I'm pregnant versus later, but that's okay. And anyway, so I, I remembered this coming up with a plan and having a budget and then the luxury of shopping with you. And you're like, yeah, you don't have to worry about the budget while we shop. I'm just going to make sure that we're thinking about getting the pieces that you need in the budget that we set. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. And I literally didn't know what things cost when we were purchasing them. I was just like, but I set a budget that I feel good about, even though I've never spent this much money in a two-hour period. But then again, I'm a mom. I'm like, it's gonna be efficient. <laughs> it's gonna get me what I want and it's going to be on budget. So that that has stayed with me and it totally changed the way that I when I'm shopping by myself and I do look at price tags, it turns out uh, (laughs) that I still hold it in a very different way because I'm thinking, what are the pieces? What's the, as Natalie says, cost per wear and, uh, and how will that translate over time and fit into my whole look?
0: It's all about the CP dubs. It's all about it. Come on, come on, CP dubs. Um, so I want to talk then about where you were and you were a founder then, So let's go back to that dress code that you left. Um, I'm dying to first know what it was and then be what the empowerment and the maybe confusion and struggle was and how you determined what you were going to show up as in this new visible role that was completely determined by you. Yeah. So first
1: the old, (laughs) the old employed life, uh, look. So when we were client facing, so oftentimes when I was in office, I would say there, I'm sure there was a, a handbook somewhere of what we could wear and not wear, but it was more free in the office. But when you were client facing and our clients at that time, my clients were executives inside of hospitals and health systems, not the most fashion forward of industries. And also a traditional classic kind of workplace, um, in terms of style and look. So what we were, uh, what we had to wear was a suit. The suit had to have a matching top and bottom. So like you couldn't have a blazer in a
0: suit, pant or skirt. Like it had to be a matching. It literally suit. had to be like, you bought it together as a set suit.
1: Correct. Okay. Uh, Tell me if I'm saying this brand's name right, but Argent didn't exist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like there was not a lot of fun in. I'm talking Brooks Brothers and Taylor. Like this is where you're shopping. And you pretty much had
0: navy blue, black, or gray, right?
1: A hundred percent. I was like, maybe, maybe a pinstripe. Whoa! And and the thing that really stuck with me, in addition to having to wear pantyhose, you also had to wear. I know your face now. It's priceless. You also had to have Seventy percent of your foot covered. Okay, that was the that was the dress code. Guess what it produced? It produced a look of a relatively young workforce. So when I left there in my early thirties, I was quite old among my colleagues. They hired young, smart, ambitious people, and um, and it was to this date. It was an incredible place to work, Um, and. As I got more senior and tenured and had built really wonderful relationships with these executives, some of them asked me outright, they're like, okay, so you got to like tell it to me straight, Lepofsky. Do they require you to look the same because you all look really the same? Now, from a branding perspective, there's something you could argue is great about that from a diversity and equity perspective, you might have some question marks like, is that good? Is it not? Uh, but for better or for worse, there was a sameness. There was a homogeny into how we all looked to our clients. Now, you asked about the, what was my befuddlement when I was then stepping out on my own. I think a big part of it was that it was really a personal question of Personally, outside of the workforce, how do I want to show up? Because I was in a personal life transition of having recently become a parent. I'm in my 30s. I had disposable income. You know, like there were things that were just different about my life circumstance. And I was really asking myself, how do I show up and feel strong, feel myself, and be professional? And no one's writing the handbook. And I know that my handbook is not going to require me to have 70% of my foot covered. So
0: now what? So what work? So of course we're going to talk about the, um, how that's communicated through a style lens, but what work did you have to do internally to come up with that, those choices and those words?
1: Here is the big transformation that I had to go through. And by the way, I think I've transformed, I can own the transformation, and this is an absolute practice. So I do not achieve this. And I'm like, I'm done. And that is a shift from looking to others to affirm who I am and what my direction is. My teachers, my parents, my boss, my clients, my colleagues, my partner. And instead to say, I am positive affirmation unto myself. like me and my being, this is it. Like I, I'm not looking externally. it comes from within. And I had like the the light bulb moment of me in this that really was the spark that led to this uh, led to this flame being fired for me is that I was at Georgetown in their leadership coaching program. I was still employed at the time, and we were learning about this thing called the thinking path. And the thinking path, very simply, is that thoughts lead to feelings, lead to actions, lead to results. So let's just say um, I, I have the thought that I'm really ambitious, I have this thought. I'm really ambitious. And when I think I'm really ambitious, I mean, actually when I say it now, I feel like, like heart open. I'm going to go with that because I'm really feeling it when I said that. So I feel heart open, like like this strong. And so I have this feeling of like strength. And when I feel strong, then what kinds of actions do I tend to take? Well, I might tend to be decisive and quicker in decisions that I'm making. I might tend to um, consider less pathways. I might tend to um, really stand in a place of power as I make those decisions when I feel strong. And and even when I hit obstacles, I'm moving through them. As a result, I probably tend to move quickly to the thing that I want um, and Shadow side, I might not consider some other ways to do it. So when I feel ambitious, that's what happens. The thinking path helps us to see what are the thought habits that work for us. And I've just discovered live here on the podcast that I am ambitious is a thought that's really working for me. Often as a coach, what I listen for is when there are thought habits getting in our way, like it is what it is. And I'm like, hmm, or or someone might have the thought, I need to be ambitious, or women leaders should be ambitious, and that the feeling that they get is not feeling strong. Maybe they feel controlled or constrained or afraid, whatever it is. So anyway, the thinking path is the tool. And in this class, sitting in Arlington, Virginia, uh, with the Georgetown University cohort that I was a part of, I remember um, discovering that I had a thought habit that was really about needing positive affirmation from other people. And I don't think that anybody who knew me at that time on the exterior would have thought, oh, Sharon's really out there looking for positive affirmation from other people. But having the coaching space held, I was like, oh, this is true. What happens when I feel this way? Well, when I feel that I need positive affirmation from other people, I do things to make sure I get it like I'm performing to get the promotion and I am making sure that I am getting the A. And as a result, I tend to get great grades and I tend to get promoted quickly and I tend to be really in service of what other people want. That's not, that's not necessarily bad. That really worked for me. However, it also made me feel really tired and it also had me very disconnected from myself. So, the inner work that I did was around saying, what is it that I need to do in order to be positive affirmation for myself? And that, that's, and kind of connected into, okay, if I can feel a sense of positive affirmation, if the new thought habit is I am positive affirmation for myself, then I'm going to feel free. I'm going to be able to operate based on my own choices, including dressing based on those own choices. But at that point in time, the thing I was really after is leaving this job that I thought was incredible, but that I knew was not my inner calling. Like this is not what I feel I'm meant to be doing. My inner compass knows this, but I can't seem to imagine myself breaking free from it because they do good work, because they tell me I'm doing a good job, because they're investing me all these reasons, but my inner compass knew, "Mm, but this isn't for me. But if I can have this new thought habit, it will give me the feeling that I can operate for myself. And I think truly that same thought habit is what allowed me to later get to a place where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to show up in a professional setting. I think I had a lot of this in my personal life, but I can show up in a professional setting just as myself and be really not concerned about, and what do you make of me? Because I make of myself that I'm incredible.
0: Oh, I love that. I mean, that answer is a podcast in and of itself. Um, So, a couple of things I want to unpack from that was yeah, one: on. looking at you now as this strong, self-affirming founder. That's what I'm hearing, and something that I notice with a lot of, particularly my female-identifying clients, are that a lot of af- that is a barrier for a lot of people. Because to become a founder, to do something that's never been done before, it requires a lot of times not having external affirmation. I mean, I, I look at my own journey and saying, I'm going to leave my editing job. I'm going to leave a dogmatic religion. I'm going to do all these things. All the places that I got affirmations from, were not couldn't rely on those being there because I was really forging a path that was not based on the the shoulds of everyone else and the pat on the back gold stars of um, this is who I am. So I want to just then first tie this into your coaching in terms of particularly women in visibility and how do you help them to create this vision and figure out what their roadblocks are and then what the design and the vision of their leadership or their path looks like for them? Because maybe it's different. It, It is going to be different for everyone.
1: Yeah. So yes. And I have developed over the last decade, a process for setting vision that I now stand in my power and say, no, this way all the time, follow this process, but then there's space. So the and is, and you want to have the magic of what does that individual need to adapt to it? And that's where I think you're bringing in coaching, but here's, here's the headlines of the process, which I'm curious your take. But as I was thinking about it in preparation for today, I was like, I think this, you can do as you get dressed and you think about how to, how to show up and present yourself physically. So the the vision cycle moves through these five steps. It's nonlinear, so you don't have to move through one, two, three, four, five, but I'm going to take you through the most common pathway that I see that would follow, okay, these are the steps. So the first is you start by getting clear what's the vision. So what kind of a vision are we talking about? What's the time horizon? So is this a vision of how I'm presenting myself in my professional attire Is this a vision of a job that I want? Is this the vision of my family, of my home, of my whole life? Is it a vision of self? And notice that that's different than whole life. Is it a vision of a transition I'm going through? So really let's get clear on what kind of a vision are we talking about and then put a time horizon on it. So that's the starting point the, the bookend to that at the end. So this is step five, but I'm going to take us to that bookend is to go beyond. So to expand beyond and hold possibility because we cannot change or move towards what we don't see. And so breaking out of what is our sight line really helps. Like when I went to you and hired you to help me as a style strategist, You helped me go beyond my own viewpoint of what I could do for myself. When later I did the early version of the style six assessment, that was another tool for helping me go beyond and see new ways of, ah, that's what it means to be magnetic. Oh, this is how my hair shows up and helps me be soft. Like, so we go beyond. In the middle, we, we do the following. We look back which is about connecting to our story of where we're coming from. So you could think in terms of how I'm showing up and getting dressed, how have I dressed over the years? What parts of that did I feel aligned with? What parts of that did I feel disconnected from? Like 70% of my foot being covered and wearing a suit that was matching. Um, Then you say, well, what about right now? So we've looked back, what about right now? And that's about cozying up to the truth of what is real. So me at seven months pregnant, I felt fabulous being pregnant, but being postpartum, I was like, Oh, breastfeeding. How do I access? How do I pump? How do I, there were things that felt really, I felt disconnected from and how I was showing up. So what's happening, what's real and true right now. And then you want to step forward. So what's an action I can take. And maybe you're also saying, What's, a, what's my best thinking on the short, medium and long term that get me from where I am to that desired future vision? but you're really starting to develop the plan and move with it, take action. Okay, so how does this build trust and help founders, for example, connect into their vision? By starting with story. so when I'm doing vision coaching, the very first session I do is the story of you. And that's really about holding space for the sacredness of how you tell your story. And I'm learning a lot about the patterns and thought habits that people are in as they share their story. And also we're building trust, which is a necessary circumstance to be able to do this deep work. Like I think of my first call with you, video conversation, and we're talking about what we're gonna shop for and setting the budget, that built trust so that when I was in the room with you, I I knew I can be safe and she is going to hold the budget and I don't need to worry about that. So looking at the story, which is helping us to look back really is a is a necessary precursor. Then the next part is the next phase we move into is setting the vision. We put the story aside and we say, "Okay, for today, for this conversation, We're really getting clear on what you want. I've already primed them with a vision meditation that they've done in advance. And we are holding space and expanding into what's possible, which is this lovely, delicious space of like, okay, we're seeing what it is that you want. After that, there are natural steps and process. We're building a roadmap, we're exploring, we're celebrating, taking perspective, integrating. But everything that follows the story and the setting of the vision is about leveraging these moments of these access points in the vision cycle, but really based on the unique needs of what this person is, is needing. And that's how we get into what are their roadblocks. And I, because I've been doing it for so long, as I'm sure you experience in your work, there are patterns I can discern of likely things we can anticipate but every person is different. Their circumstances are different. And so that's where it's about really meeting people where they are. All right. Let me stop there. I'm curious what's popping for you as you're hearing this and thinking about it in your lens. Yeah,
0: no, there's so much, there is so much overlap. And I think that's where it's, this is so juicy and interesting to me is that, you know, people talk about having a coach or a guide and there's, there's, there's those that hold your hand and walk you down the path. And then there's those that still have you explore and give you meeting points and say you have to do the work, but I'm I'm here to help you or or I'm going to be in the passenger side with you. But you know, I'll take the wheel when you need it, but you have to drive this this train. And I think that's where um I love where the work intersects and the way that I approach it is that it truly isn't about putting clothes on. So when we think about this vision point, it's it's not, we're going to shop one time and all of, and it's all going to be solved. And it's more than clothes. It's the relationship with your body. It's the relationship with you feeling like you deserve to show up in the way you, you want to show up. It's about looking in the mirror and focusing on different components of it. And it all connects to, you know, you go to that vision and I, we look at the horizon and I, and I know, and the goals that we have with the clients that I like to work with other people in my community, even listening here. It's like, I want you to think about what life could look like if you put on clothes and you felt great and you didn't second guess it. Okay, we're not going to get there tomorrow. What are some things we have to do? Think about looking back at the stories that you have. What are the things your mom used to tell you was right or wrong? Do you dislike that thing now because you're relationship with your mom and that story is in your head? Or do you actually like it now? Let's bring it to the present. And are you just rebelling still in dislike? Or, you know, let's look at where you are right now. What shape are you and how do we celebrate your shape and not look back at 22 year old you and going out to the club? You know, one thing I always hear is when you talk to people about the timeline of their life is i wish i'd appreciated you know when i was 30 i wish i'd appreciated my body at 21 when i was 40 i wish i'd appreciated my body at 30 when I, you know and so it's it's looking where you are right now and learning how to celebrate it and appreciate it and then how can we get you to that point there are things that are objective there are things based on feeling and trusting your intuition And then once you get to the point where you say, I accept who I am, now we say, how can we use this? Let's go beyond the horizon. And how can we get more co-pilots? And how can we push you in your visibility to accomplish what you want to accomplish? So the horizon keeps moving longer and longer, but um, it's just so interesting. thank you for walking us through that vision journey and how it overlaps anytime you're doing internal work. And how doing internal work, no matter how it's manifested, it's not just a job, it's not just your career, it's not just clothes. At this point, it is making sure that you're in a place where you know you deserve to show up, that you are showing up in your authenticity and in your power, whatever that looks like. And then you're you're expanding even further beyond it.
1: Totally. And that that's where I think there is this. Like this is one of your gifts, Natalie, is you, you have helped me. And I know, cause I'm, I love the podcast. I've been listening, hearing from other clients, you help people feel seen and have the permission to show up physically, like the physical manifestation of what the inner transformation is or the inner game is. And that's game changing. And, um, and that's also to executive presence that's what's required you know in leadership we talk about leadership is an inner game but a public act you know you can't you can't lead on the inside alone you have to show up to bring people along with you and that's why presence which is yes including the clothes we wear and the shoes we wear but that's just the ornaments of what is the embodied presence that you're bringing. I just, I feel like you do such a wonderful job of, of holding the space to create um, permission for people to do that.
0: Well, I think one place that we align is that we truly love humans and it's not about us. Oh heck yeah. It's truly not about us. And I, one thing I always say, it's a story that um, I think about my mom I'll take two minutes to tell this story, but my mom and I, when I was younger, and I thought, oh gosh, I hate how I look, and I was that didn't look like anybody else in Indiana. And my mom flipped through a J Crew catalog, which I loved at the time, with me, and they were all pale, stickly girls. And she said, Natalie, you look like her. Do you think she's beautiful? She goes, you, you have the same hair, you have the same this. And I remember my mom looking at me and saying, if you could see yourself how I could see you, you would think differently. And I think about that a lot with my clients and I am hearing you say the same thing of there's power in having someone that's looking at you and I truly will look at my clients and oh my god they're beautiful in this way they're beautiful internally extra like there's just people are so beautiful that I just wish more people could see themselves how I see them how you see them how their biggest fan sees them and get out of their head when they need to and put my voice in there your voice in there I think that there would be so much power in people understanding how truly beautiful they are. So I do want to talk then about when you get to that space where you're feeling good, you know, your authenticity, but you are, you have to be in a space that doesn't fully align with that. And I think that happens a lot in an executive world. How do you coach your clients through that standing in their authenticity, but still um, aligning where needed in the spaces that they're in?
1: Yeah, I, I often, um, begin by describing what it's like to coach in that scenario. And because I'm doing this all the time. So as you know, for my style six, Natalie, magnetic, creative, like these are my lead, my, my, my lead style indicators. And I, um, I do like to show up and, um, and, and attract people and look different in different silhouettes and shapes. However, particularly when I'm going in where a relationship is new and a culture is unknown. So it's the first time I'm doing a team facilitation in an environment that I've never been to before. I know that I have to meet people where they are because if I'm showing up and what it's about is my clothes or what they see first is the exterior of me, that I'm missing an opportunity. And so what I'm doing is really my presence is about the quality of my spirit that I'm bringing, and I don't want any other distractions. And so that doesn't mean I can't still show up and be myself, but I'm really looking for more, what are the fabrics I'm wearing, how I'm leaning more into my, um, keep me honest on the style uh, indicator language, like comfort, Relaxed. relaxed, That's, I think the new the new term. Yeah, <laughs> always. I'm like it's comfortable, it's relaxed. So be like that relaxed part of me. Like I don't want to be thinking about what I'm wearing at all, so that I can just move my inner being in this physical space without distracting them. Um, so when I'm talking with clients about this, with executives about how are you showing up, that I'm. I'm just taking them through the same process of, so yes, first separate, untethered from your organization, the industry that you're operating in, who are you? What do you want? How do you want to express that? Because that's about you knowing first self-awareness and how do you manage yourself and how you want to show up. Okay. That's part one. Then you necessarily have to Bring in the system and create this alignment. So, yes, I have to understand who I am unto myself and then say, where am I choosing to show up? For example, at work. And I like to think of work, work as like these are the playgrounds that we operate in. So maybe there's a client site that's one playground and then there's a boardroom that's another playground. How do I meet that part of my system where it is so that I am? able to have my inner spirit still radiate, but I'm not creating distractions. And I think if you're doing those things, you can both bring your authenticity and have alignment with the system that you wanna be a part of for as long as you choose to be a part of it. And if that system is telling you forever and ever that you have to wear a black suit with a matching top and bottom and 70% of your foot covered and you just do not feel like that's who you are, then guess what? You can pick a new playground. (laughs) But for the most part, I think we can operate in the systems we choose to operate in. And if we're choosing it, those adaptations are just fine to make because the inner spirit, the inner game that you're bringing can adapt to the environments that you're showing up in.
0: And I agree with that through the lens and of how you communicate that through style is that, you know, there are times when certain style, parts of your style personality can scream louder and should scream louder. And so I, you know, I do it through this, like discover who you are, discover where you're going, who's going to be there and decide how you want to lead the room. So decide if you want to lead the room in softness and reception, decide if you want to, you need to lead in And it dictates, the space dictates being more magnetic or, you know, it's, you can make those decisions and from the lens of wardrobe and in the lens of what you do, it's still different parts of you that you're flexing. And there's just sometimes when it needs to be maybe the part that it doesn't always speak the loudest, but I would still put you in clothes in your closet. I'm not going to have a separate wardrobe for those things. It's just what's the what's the code that day of you? And there's something I would imagine, and you can speak more on it of, and you know, you talk about going into these, these groups for the first time and, you know, relaxed is definitely, I don't want to think about my clothing. I want to be able to engage and knowing those spaces you're showing up in, there is that element. We talked about our work together of gaining trust. And a lot of times it is that first time of, I know they're going to follow along and I know that I'm trustworthy and I know I can lead them, but I may be doing something new for them. So I need to get them to understand for like, just put your toe in. So then you can slowly, you you know, where you're, they're going to be in six months or, you know, where they're going to be down the line. So you need to pre create that path. So they feel like they are welcome to enter. That's right. I, I totally agree. I'm bringing my vision for
1: where I see that they can go, but then by eliminating the distractions I'm coming back to, but where are you right now? And I, as you were describing the, um, some of the other style personalities, I was thinking to myself, like, I want to say out loud, somebody who is more classic and polished and that those Like there is somebody out there listening right now who's like, I feel incredible in a black suit that is matching top and bottom and my foot is covered. Incredible. Like that's great. (laughs) I know for myself that the environments I feel most shaky in, which is unusual for me, uh, but it happens. And it's usually when the environment looks like that and i know i cannot in my authenticity show up looking like everybody else in the room like i feel very strange and wearing a matching suit feels well, you know maybe maybe i'll be like natalie next style assignment what's my matching suit where i feel incredible i'm sure it can happen but it's uh, <laughs> but it's it's not what i'm naturally drawn to and so i'm always thinking about what works for one person might not work for somebody else. So how? as I was hearing you t- describe some of the different style personalities, I was like, oh yeah, I can imagine very quickly where I feel most shaky. And it's either when everybody else seems so highly polished and like each other, or there's something where I technically don't know. Like when I called you up and was like, the New York Times is sending a photographer to my house. I don't know how to think about how my style translates in a photo? What about if and when I want to be on television? What am I? How am I dressing technically for that environment? So I think there's also sometimes where there's a technical question of how do I translate what feels natural to me, but in these other technically different formats.
0: And that's where having good coaches and good co-pilots in your life or is really important because, and to understand who you are and where you are shaky and be, put your ego, check your ego at the door and say, I don't know this, like, but somebody, somebody does. And I'm going to make sure I have that person. And they're on on my team. They're on my board and they are going to help me. And I can just call or text them because I know that I'm shaky there.
1: A hundred percent. Like
0: Natalie is my person I'm
1: texting. When I was just in Cincinnati, Ohio, officiating a wedding for the first, and I predict only time, uh, and it was incredible for my sister. And I went to the rehearsal and I'm like, you know, I can, and the theme was garden disco, like talk about like fashion moment. I was like, this is the best shopping assignment I've ever had. Like my only sadness was stopping shopping for a garden disco themed wedding. Anyway, the, it was super fun. But I was thinking, but how do I show up as an officiant? And I got my look and I felt great with it. And at the rehearsal, I thought, oh, what I haven't factored in is that I'm going to be standing in the sun, but everybody else is not. And I can't see. And I had on my team, Erica, who runs Continuum, uh, an amazing shop in Cincinnati, Ohio, And I'm texting her after the rehearsal dinner and I'm like, what do you got in terms of a hat that I could come get at 11 a.m. tomorrow when you open? Like, what's there? This is what I'm wearing. And Erica was on my team. She got me that hat. Um, But, you know, having those people to help, it's so important to make sure that you're not thinking about it. Because I thought, if I'm thinking about the sun, I am not focusing on this couple and creating the magic and the love that is what we need for this wedding.
0: Anyway, you're too distracted. I think about that with a lot of, um, the people that I work with who are on stages or who are leading rooms. And that's such a big factor in not only showing up as who you are, but what is going to let your wardrobe melt away so you can be focused on your message. And I think that's such a big part of it is that's another it's in terms of clothing. It's not just clothing. It's like, I know I'm good. Like, I know I'm good, so I don't have to think about, to your point, What are what is anyone else thinking about it? Because I know I'm crushing it in the way that I need to crush it. So I want to then, I want to move on um, as we're starting to wrap up and talk about what you're seeing in this post-COVID kind of new norms office environment or, you know, workspace and how you're seeing that affect you. Um, your clients that you work with in dressing and personal brand and executive presence and all of all of that good stuff.
1: Well, first, it's totally different. So the way we work is different. There are places, you know, like go back to hospitals and health systems that haven't seen much change except that all the other workplaces have changed and therefore Maybe people are leaving and saying, I don't want to be on this playground anymore. Teachers and the huge teacher shortage that we're having, as many teachers are vacating that profession. So even where there hasn't been disruption in maybe what it looks like, there's still disruption because there's disruption around those those industries and workplaces. So what I'm seeing in terms of how people are showing up is generally where there has been permission to change. It's more informal. There is less employee tolerance for restrictions on what they can wear. Um, So I'm definitely noticing that. And and I'm noticing for my executive teams and HR leaders who are like, how do I address that? Like, How do I bring some clarity to what's okay and not okay uh, while I'm giving a lot of flexibility in how we dress? The other thing I'm noticing is because there's so much hybrid work that we are, we might be both in person and virtual in the same day. And when we are all in person, it's highly infrequent. And therefore there's this big moment of how do we show up? Which I think is creating really fun opportunities for how individuals are dressing where it's like, Ooh, like what, like what will people wear when we're in person? And we get a, a head to toe look that we get to showcase. So that's some of the headlines, more informal, less tolerance for being told you can't show up in a way that feels authentic for you, more relaxed. And, um, and then also kind of some fun moments when we come together in person.
0: I definitely am seeing that where people, I, I'm only in the office twice, a you know, twice a week and, so we don't need as much volume. And so then it becomes more like, but I want it to be so aligned with me. And so I'm seeing that there is more focus on personal brand, personal, you know, what it looks like truly to show up as you. Um, but I'm seeing on the other side and I'm curious your thoughts. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing both sides of it. So I'm hearing my, my clients who are walking into offices that have gotten more casual say I'm more confused on how to dress because a lot of them were in that classic full suit that was easy. And now I've been told there's no dress code, but I feel like it's a trap because a lot of them feel like I want some sort of guidance because I'm then afraid it's like that. I say it's like where they got rid of vacation days and people feel like it's a little bit of a trap trap, but then on the other side of also wanting to have choice or looking at it from an HR perspective of, I don't feel like we probably need to tell people to cover 70% of their foot and, you know, such specific requirements, where do you think there's a happy medium or do you have a stance on how that affects teams, executives, like, you know, what are the implications of, of all of this quandary we're in? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think where there can be more direct guidance which I know is something that you can provide I think that's helpful especially when we don't have the luxury of 2 weeks in the, the our first 2 weeks in the office and we're being oriented and we're there full time 5 days a week as are all of our colleagues including leadership where I can read the room so I can show up usually more formally or maybe not but always, I always err on the side of more formal to start, never a bad idea. Um, and what I've, what I see is because we are working in hybrid distributed remote workforces, that's when it becomes, I think, increasingly more important that you're giving like, this is what we mean by that. What is business casual? Like, what will you be wearing to this event? <laughs> because without knowing it you don't have that the reps of seeing people to know how to show up and it cause, it definitely causes anxiety for people it causes anxiety for me when i go to to show up for clients like i said especially when i haven't met them before because it's a what what does this culture look like my i have now my go to looks for this is really me not distracting and more formal but that's, you know, that's exhausting for someone who's going for their first time to meet people in person, which is, that's happening all the time. I went to facilitate an event for a technology team and the team has grown from five people to 25 people over the course of the pandemic. This team has never met in person. Like most of them are meeting each other in person, for the first time because five to 25, they just hadn't had these moments and they work all over the country. You know, how do you show up as yourself and how do you dress for that? I'm sure it was an anxiety producing packing job for many of those people. So short answer, more clarity helps. What do you actually mean by business casual? But what are
0: you seeing, Natalie? I mean, I'm seeing a very similar thing that I think it's, um, I think it's a cop out for people to wash their hands of it and say, we're just going to think people should show up. And I think we're doing the employees, particularly the young talent coming in a disservice because they have not seen an office environment. They don't understand those expectations. They don't May not understand what we mean by smart casual or business casual or how to align to your spaces. I think it looks different than just writing a dress code of requirements. And I don't think that works anymore. Um, I find it to be a place of educating and going back to the work that you're doing and that I'm doing is by teaching people how to understand who they are, what their environments look like, and then how to. Properly communicate that and show up in authenticity while respecting the space they're in while looking toward their goals. So I think that it needs to be addressed, pun intended. Um, but I think, and I think it just looks different, just like everything else that we're in. And I'm seeing businesses, I've had. St- Some come to me recently now saying, okay, I'm ready to tackle this. And I'm understanding that particularly, again, my young employees don't understand what I mean by things that maybe were natural to us. Um, I would guess it's happening in like meetings that you're talking about when you're meeting with, you know, 25 people. I remember the first time post pandemic, I had to see a client in person again, and I felt totally awkward and i'm not generally an awkward conversationalist but my brain was like how am i going to fill this space are they going to think i'm awkward am i like i was out of practice and so there's a lot of things to get us back in practice and to give tools from an executive level of coaching even i'm sure you have clients who are like how do we reflux this muscle and then some people have just never learned it and it's it's not going to help if I think companies don't take the time to foster that, um, employee engagement and empowerment.
1: Yeah. Can I throw out a question for you that I'm having as you're sharing this? Of course. (laughs) Okay. So here, like, here's where my mind is going. I'm like, Oh, obviously the answer is you have an organization, you need the employees to take the style six, uh, Assessment, and then there's a workshop. And when you're or, when you're onboarding new talent, I'm like, I got it, makes sense. But let's say you're an organization of 500 people, and you're doing it for the first time. There are those people who already have a natural sense. Maybe they've hired people like you. Maybe they're intuitive about it. They're showing up and feeling and and being an authenticity in authenticity and their presence aligned with the organization. But there are going to be people. Who don't. But maybe there's resistance. Maybe they're at a certain level. They don't want to be in the room with their direct reports where they're also going through this process. And I'm thinking of it, my my kinship to it. And then I promise the question is coming, is when I'm coaching, when I'm when someone's hiring me as their coach, they're there and they want to show up. Like they have the the conditions to be able to do this work. If someone is assigned a coach, they may not be ready for it. They may not want it. And I'm not working with that person myself. That's because I'm only doing investment-based coaching where everybody wants to be there. But for you, what, what would your approach be to an organization wanting to set these standards where you can bring in education, but where you hit resistance? Like what, even like what does that look like in your experience? And what's your way that you would overcome that?
0: I mean, it's interesting because I've been, you're met with resistance from people who don't understand that it is more than clothes. Um, So I always think it's starting at the baseline of by putting on clothes every day. It's like you have to put on clothes every day in the culture that we live in. And so it's less about focusing on the clothes and focusing on you're at a job, right? You're here. Don't you want to use it to your advantage? And it's not about the exact right cut of blouse. It's very much not about that. It's about understanding that the choices you make, whether you like it or not, are are going to be judged. And so I think if when you boil it down like that, and you know, some people may not care. And if you say you don't care, it's to your point. It's like, that's the organization's job to worry about that. I can only give you the information and saying, where you work is this style brand, Who you are is the style brand. Here are some choices you can make to stand out and align. Here's some choices you can make to influence, you know, rooms by how you dress and the nonverbal message that those are facts. Those are just facts and you can take it, lean into it just like anything. If you believe in therapy, then you are going to want to do the work. If you believe in coaching and vision, you're going to want to do the work And you can speak to a room where it's going to resonate more with some people and it's not going to resonate with others. And, you know, those are the, that's the beauty of having choices. And I think as a company, you can also make the decision if that's important to you or not. You know, sometimes geniuses get away with things that others don't because they're a genius. And that's also something, you know, some people will say, you know what, they're a pain in the ass, but they are so good at X, Y, and Z that we let things slide. Whether you like it or not, that's that's how things work. But if you're not a genius, you're probably not going to be in that position. So you eventually might want to take note.
1: And if you are a genius and you're doing that and your culture is allowing you to get away with it, sorry, the executive of me can't let that comment slide. I'm like, there is a real cost to all the other people that are seeing you let that person get away with it. So don't think that it's just, well, we're letting them be different. That difference everyone else is seeing it and there's a bigger cost to that and the larger your organization is and you're letting that happen, the costlier it is. So just saying don't do that.
0: I 100% agree with that and you know, the one of the places I came from, I saw that happen and um they lost They lost some really good people as a result when they saw, you know, it's a a symptom of a greater cultural problem, I would say. Yep. Um,
1: Yep. And of course, again, I'm like, bottom line, when you lose talent, there's an acquisition cost to getting that talent. There's the cost in the marketplace to your reputation when you have people leaving and what they're telling other people, which costs you in the talent pool that you're getting in the future. Like we, we are operating in an increasingly transparent work environment you cannot get away with it. it the costs are so high so okay
0: soapbox complete <laughs> soapbox complete on that note there's so much genius here we could go on for hours and hours so this probably means we'll have to narrow down our topic matter and have you back for another great convo but how can all of the listeners find you and follow you and hire you if they'd like
1: Yes. Well, first of all, you're here on a podcast. So go subscribe to Design Yourself. I would love to meet you over there. And if you go to pointroadstudios.com, and that's point like a pencil point, road, R O A D, studios with an S, uh, that is your best place to find me online. If you submit a contact form, it is going to cross my desk, and I will personally be in touch and would love to hear from you. And other than that, I'm on the LinkedIn, I'm on the Instagram, and you can find me in those places looking up up Sharon or Point Road. And we will link
0: it all. And the final thing I want to ask you in in our work together is what is your ultimate wear-who-you-are outfit? I have two questions, that. And then what is the most memorable thing we ever bought together?
1: Mm. Yes. Okay. Ultimate wear-who-you-are outfit is whatever I'm wearing at the time, like every day I'm saying what is going to be my ultimate thing today. And that's how I want to show up. And lately living in the Catskills, I'm wearing a lot of mother jeans. Like I just love them. Great high waist and then like nice soft fabric and then a fitted top. So that's lately what I've been wearing. Um, and then hit me. What was the second question? You're- oh, memorable piece. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, I got it. I was like, I could, I was like, I got to tell you this, Natalie. So, uh, maybe like the first dress I bought with you, Mary Mecco, it was, I think of it almost like this watercolory fabric, like a green and a white on this overlay of a dress. And it was very tent shaped. I think I looked great pregnant in it and it was very forgiving in my postpartum body it ripped in one of the sleeves that had these very delicate cap sleeves. And I, but I'm like ruthless about getting rid of stuff, but I like could not let go of it. But I was like, but I'm not going to wear this. And it's also torn. So I just was, when I was in Ohio for the wedding, met with a amazing seamstress and she is remaking that dress into a high-waisted skirt that I'm very excited about. So I'll get like a tighter
0: fit, but the same fabric. So stay tuned. I'm dying to see a picture. You have to send it to me and we'll have to share it.
1: I definitely will. Well, this has been just
0: all I hoped it would be and more as usual. I said, every time I talk to Sharon, you're just one of those people that I leave feeling like my cup is overflowing and you're like the ultimate feel good person. So thank you for always creating such a beautiful space. Thank you for educating us on what it looks like to have a vision and the steps to follow it. So you can show up as who you are and that you can wear who you are. Thank you so much, everyone for listening. And we will see you next Wednesday. Thanks for joining another wear who you are Wednesday. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Be sure to follow along for episode news, updates, and other bonus style insights on Instagram through my business account at BUStyle. That's the letters B, U, and style. Or my personal account at Natalie underscore Tinture. And don't forget to subscribe to Wear Who You Are wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again and see you next time.